In celebration of Black History Month, I chose this section of Isaiah because it was a call to repentance and a promise of restoration, which is connected to my call for this economic resurrection. When this text was written, it was the Persian period of restoration in Jerusalem. Israel was conquered and then it was sent back home. The questions that they were asking God indicated a time of distress, even while things were being restored. God's response was a call for moral action to, do, to accompany the holy, holy ritual of fasting. So God wanted people not to just focus on the religious side of things, but he wanted people to do their part to loose the chains of injustice. Like the Israelites, African-Americans continue to make gains here in America, and yet we are still in distress. The U.S. leads infant death mortality, and African-Americans have the highest rate. We imprison more people than any other country in the world, and a disproportionate number of black men and women. We have an unjust healthcare system where everyone profits when someone gets sick. There's a lack of affordable housing and poor quality education in predominantly black schools. And Flint still does not have clean water. Then there's the racial and gender economic gap. And if you're a black woman, that's the intersection where we live. The median black wages are 73% of white wages. A white high school graduate has more wealth than a college-educated black person. A single black woman has one cent of wealth for every dollar that a single white woman has. White men's wealth are about $30,000, while black men's wealth is about $300. Some of these numbers almost sound like three-fifths, the way we were once counted as humans. Do you know it would take 228 years to close this gap after we spent 400 years building this country? We need an economic resurrection. The culture of capitalism has become this country's guiding principle, not God's love. Monetizing has superseded morals, and profits have been chosen over people. Racism and sexism are the idolatrous religion with the effects leaving black Americans and black women in particular at the bottom of the economic ladder. We need an economic resurrection. Black History Month began in 1926, and it was the brainchild of the Harvard-trained historian Carter G. Woodson, whose professor told him black, black people don't have a history. Yeah, he did, at Harvard, yeah. A famous quote from Woodson was, this assumption of Negro leadership in the ghetto then must not be confined to matters of religion, education, and social uplift. It must deal with such fundamental forces in life that make these things possible. He was calling for moral action against injustice the same way that, Isaiah, it, that we heard about in Isaiah. So why would I call this sermon the economic resurrection? Because black people are dying. And it's because of economic violence that is rooted in greed, systemic racism, and capitalism. How do we get here? Slavery, Jim Crow, Reaganomics, redlining? Why does my house in an all-black neighborhood with higher incomes worth less than the house in the white neighborhood next door today in 2020? The reason we rehearse our history is so we don't repeat it. Historically, blacks have attempted to begin their own economies, and whites have come in to destroy it. Did y'all know about the Red Summer of 1919, 
when hundreds of African-American men, women, and children were burned alive, shot, lynched, or beaten to death by white mobs in the North and the South, in New York as well, Syracuse to be exact. The reason, black men, the reason was black men were returning from World War I, and African-Americans were moving north to escape Jim Crow, and the whites saw them as competition for jobs, homes, and political power. So they killed them. In 1921, the Tulsa race riot, also known as the Black Wall Street Massacre, has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in American history. Because this is American history, it's not just black history. We know that. The attack carried out on ground and from private aircraft and destroyed more than 35 square blocks of the district. At the time, this was the wealthiest black community in the United States. An estimated 300 people were killed in two days. Racial and economic violence. Let's fast forward to 2020. A black man won a discrimination lawsuit against his employer. He went to a bank to cash the check. They called the police, said it was fraud. I mean, really? Racial and economic violence. Nonetheless, blacks have had many individual financial successes with stories like Madam C.J. Walker. She was the first self-made black female millionaire. Ironically, she, she obtained her wealth from black hair care products. And almost 120 years later, states still have to pass a law called the Crown Act to ensure that black women aren't discriminated against in the workplace because of how we wear our hair. This is directly correlated to the wealth gap and the pay gap. In the words of James Baldwin, your crown has already been paid for. All you have to do is put it on. Yeah. We need the economic resurrection. Let me tell you a story about Leonard Stephen Andrew Wilson. He was a young, brilliant young writer, poet, and artist. Have you ever heard of him? Probably not. He's serving 25 years to life in Sing Sing Correctional Facility. What happened? He grew up barely knowing his father, and when he was about 10 years old, his mother became addicted to crack cocaine. And we can thank the great Ronald Reagan for that. In the 1980s, Reagan knowingly allowed crack to enter black communities to support the anti-communist Nicaraguan Contra. This was confirmed by the FBI, but the evidence didn't matter. Sound familiar? Being left to fend for himself, Leonard, Stephen as we call him, did not get to finish school, was hungry and homeless, and the drug dealers in his neighborhood were the ones who took him in, fed him, and gave him a job. He said the first time he went to the dentist was when he went to Rikers Island at 18 years old. While America was attempting to win the Cold War in Europe, they left this child and many other black children out in the cold. Leonard is now 46 years old, nearing his release. And last week, a prison guard allowed another prisoner in his cell to attack him, knocking out his two front teeth. The irony. Nonetheless, he wrote me a letter the other day, and his words were, don't forget, don't for one minute think that I do not take full responsibility for my past actions. And even though I'm hurting, I will not choose a path of bitterness or nor one of hopelessness. Leonard Stephen is my cousin, and he gives me hope. 
He's just one example of this poverty-to-prison pipeline. To be poor and black in America is a death sentence. You will not get quality health care, schools, and housing, and you may be fast-tracked into prison. We need an economic resurrection. Coming back to capitalism, which is rooted in white supremacy, as our great Amanda was teaching us, and breeds this systemic oppression, capitalism is the material conditions that disunite people and set them at odds with nature. Our obsession with status and things has caused us to become physically ill, mentally depressed, and live with chronic illness. We have a spiritual hunger, a spiritual hunger that's being substituted by materialism and capitalism. Some of us may be blind to the effects of these things because we've achieved a certain amount of financial success, we may feel comfortable, but somebody in this church can't pay their rent and don't know where they're, how they're going to make it to their next paycheck. If we walk out this door, we will see homeless people sleeping on the streets. Let's not be fooled. The middle class is shrinking, the rich is getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. poorer. What we have here is temporal. It's all temporary. If the economic resurrection is going to happen, the racist, oppressive system has to die, and a new system has to come to life. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the consummations of his earthly ministry with the poor and the oppressed. That's who he served. His resurrection is the disclosure, the revelation that God is not defeated by oppression, but transforms it into the possibility of freedom. Jesus lived as an oppressed person. Y'all know that, right? He was not very popular. But he was resurrected. And we can be too here on earth. We have to be the countervailing power. We have to be the one offset the institu institutional power. We have collective power. And as Jackie's email title this week said, we got hella power. <laughs> I see the resurrection as a revolution. So what can we do? According to the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus' resurrection, many of those previously dead came out of their tombs and entered Jerusalem where they appeared to many. They arose and, be, and were able to bear witness. They were witnesses. I see that vision for us. But it will take a movement like Jesus modeled. It will take action. It will take commitment. It will take sacrifice. It's time to rise up. We can do what Jesus did. Jesus was a revolutionary and an epitome of revolutionary love. And he got involved in economics. He fed the masses with two fish and five loaves. Sounds like my two grandmothers. Yes. He flipped over the table of the tax collector, not only because they were doing business on the Sabbath, like most people think, but they were taking advantage of the poor. And he did not like that. The Lord's Prayer that we pray every week, that we pray this morning, was and is a call for economic justice. Think about it. Give us this day our daily bread. People were hungry. And forgive our debts. The people were abusing them with debts. People were enslaved because of debts. Jesus was a revolutionary. If you looked at the stained glass window to my right, and the people online, just imagine, it's Jesus in brown skin. He was a Middle Easterner, right? Yes. yes. 
you will see the picture of Jesus on resurrection morning. Let's imagine what the resurrection could look like, the economic resurrection. I see it as fair and equal pay for equal work. I see it as safe and affordable homes for all. I see it as education and quality education for all. I see it as clean water and quality food for all. How will we restore and repair? Reparations? That's a good word. We need economic resurrection. Remember, injustice against one is injustice against all. The late theologian James Cone said, sympathy does not change the structures of injustice. We need reconciliation, we need restoration, we need reparations, and we need a revolution. We can all be a, a voice for change. We can, in any way that we can. What we can do is speak up against racist policies at work. We can vote against racist policies. We can vote against racists, period. I read a post on social media that referenced the parable of the choir. And you know we got an amazing choir here at Middle, right? It said, a choir can sing a beautiful note impossibly long because singers can individually drop out and catch a breath and the note goes on. That's how social active, activism should be. I'm thankful for allies like all the family here at Middle Church, like Joaquin Phoenix, who spoke out at the BAFTA Awards, acknowledging that we don't want handouts or preferential treatment. We want to be acknowledged, appreciated, and respected for our work. And I'm going to add, paid equitably. He admitted he had, he had not done all he could to ensure that the sets that he worked on were inclusive. He also said, I think it's more than just having sets that are multicultural. We have to do the really hard work to truly understand systemic racism. He also said, I think it is the obligation of the people that have created and perpetuate and benefit from a system of oppression to be the ones to dismantle it. It was a call to action. Auntie Ruby Sales says, we need a change of values in how we see each other. We have to heal, we have to continue to heal, or we will continue to harm each other. We need a revolution of values. Remember the opening scripture in Isaiah 58, chapter nine, verse nine? Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, as a coach, I would ask, what will you do? I'm thankful to be a member of Middle Collegiate Church who has been intentional in disrupting discrimination. Middle has declared that black lives mattered. That was bold. They faced racism head on with book readings on white fragility and how to be an anti-racist. They host voters registration drives and ongoing and the great annual Revolutionary Love Conference which is one of the things that drew me to this church. Being in this community lets me know that change is possible. Love is possible. And the time for revolution is now. Will you say, here I am? Here I am. Here I am. Amen. Amen. Thank you.